0: Hey, everyone, welcome to the Wonderful World of Remember Radio. My name is Joshua Lewis, and today we're going to be discussing the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, we'll probably be discussing some cessationist arguments and uh, how maybe you can get involved with those gifts. I got Jack Deere in the studio with us today, theologian uh, in the house. And Michael Roundtree is back. I'm back,
1: guys. In many moons. Yes. so very- five weeks off doing a little writing, but I'm back.
0: Uh, did you get through? done?
1: Oh man, I'm like two-thirds through a first manuscript, so I got some more work to do, but I made a lot of progress.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, for those of you who are new to the show and you want to know a little about us before we do our introduction uh, to Jack and what we're discussing today, I'll let you know who Remnant Radio is. We're a theology broadcast. We stream every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, and we interview pastors and teachers from different churches and denominations, and our goal is to kind of suspend our presuppositions, get side of outside of our theological echo chambers, and learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ. If, if you're wanting to, challenge your understanding from your theological tradition and learn outside of that space. Uh, This is a great channel for you. Make sure to hit subscribe, like the videos as we're coming out with stuff just like this every week. Uh, week. Michael, uh, what do we have to look forward to? Do you know what we have to look forward to? I've been looking stuff. I got no idea, man. I've been out for five weeks. That's true. So so uh coming up, uh uh Tom Schreiner. Tom he's Schreiner, coming he's, he's coming, on, to coming six. on. Tom Schreiner's coming. Uh, I've got uh, a couple other guests. That I've got. Uh, Matthew Escobel is going to talk about the uh, the history of the sacraments during the Protestant Reformation, the four most popular views, the Roman Catholic view, the uh, Zwinglian view, the Calvin and Lutheran view. Uh, so th- those kinds of things. It's going to be some really exciting stuff coming down the pipe. So yeah, be looking forward to that. Jack. How are you doing, sir? Good. It's, it's good. glad to have you in person. You're never in the studio with us.
2: Yeah, no, I'm glad to be here. It's my first time in the studio.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little about yourself and your ministry. I mean, uh, maybe you should do the introduction. I mean, you were discipled by the guy. Yeah. It's all good. Introduce good. yourself, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I don't know anything about Jack. <laughs> uh,
2: I, was, I was, uh, wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a traumatic home. And at 17, I heard the gospel for the first time, that Jesus died on the cross for me. And if I would trust him to forgive me, and give me a new life. You become into my heart and never leave. And I did. And um, almost immediately, my, my father committed suicide when I was 12. Mm. So I, I, I grew up in those formative years without a father. And my, my, father wasn't, my father and my mom were at war from the time I was about five or six. So basically, even before my father killed himself, he was really gone. Her, her anger uh, drove him away. And uh, his absentee made her more angry. And, and it just he wasn't around uh, a lot. And, and uh, after he killed himself, our whole family just went south. Uh, we, we saw things in our home we should never see. There was a parade of men that came into uh, our home. Um, at, at 17, I heard the gospel, though, for the first time, became a believer, and then God sent a whole series of spiritual fathers into my life, a phenomenal young life leader who taught me how to study scripture, who taught me how to memorize scripture, who taught me to read C.S. Lewis. And I became a young life leader, just like him, uh, ended up going to Dallas seminary. And when I got to seminary, um, I, I, uh, I didn't know this before, but, uh, Greek and Hebrew were not just easy for me. They were things I love and I, and I became exceptional in Greek and Hebrew. And when I graduated, I became a professor of old Testament exegesis and Semitic languages at Dallas seminary. And I also taught Greek there, uh, Conde, the head of the Greek department into letting me teach Greek one year. Um, so that that was kind of my uh, story. Oh, and, and in the process of going to Dallas Seminary, uh, I came to believe that all the gifts of the Spirit have been done away with all the s- supernatural. I divided the gifts of the Spirit into, I didn't, you really don't want to call a gift of the Spirit natural, do you? I mean, a gift of the Spirit, natural, but we sort of did that. And then, uh, and so there are these things like teaching and uh, all that but then there were these supernatural leadership yeah, yeah yeah then there were these supernatural gifts like miracles and and uh, healings and prophecy and we just said all those things are done away with and the reason that God let the apostles do uh, miracles was to show their trustworthy teachers of doctrine now we got their doctrine in the New Testament, so we don't need uh miracles anymore and and I Started a church which became really successful. Taught my church that, taught my seminary students that, and uh, was just sailing along fine for about, I was a professor for about 12 years and got challenged by a person that I respected. He was one of our heroes. We used all of his books in our church. His name was Dr. John White. He was a professor of uh, psychiatry and uh, he was a leading. Uh, author for InterVarsity Press, best-selling author. We used all of his books, and we got him to come to our church and do uh, a conference. We were also a wealthy church, and we could afford to get anybody, bring him from anywhere in the world. And Dr. White shocked me when he told me that he believed in healing. He didn't just believe in healing, he'd seen healing. And I couldn't believe this because I knew he knew the scriptures, I knew he was really intelligent, and he was really godly. I mean, I felt like he was way more godly than I was. And I'd never had a credible witness in my life like that. And so he didn't convince me, but that conversation, that first conversation with him so disquieted me that it got me to go back and look up every single healing story in in the uh, New Testament. Uh, uh, Just to interrupt you real quick, because I just want to ask, when you say you
1: found out that he believed in healing, because... Even cessationists today will say, "Well, I believe God heals." Like I've I've heard you quote a pre- uh, a preacher who says, "I believe in healing, just not healers." Yeah. No. So, could you qualify that for us? What what did that mean that he believed in healing?
2: Uh, so, when he said he believed in healing, it was more like he believed in the gift of of healing, and and I really didn't believe in healing. I mean, I I, I thought, well, you know, God can do anything, but I never knew anyone that he healed. Mm-hmm. I never heard a credible mm-hmm. healing story. So, so really, I was you know, agnostic about healing, uh, period. But he, he not only said he, that he had a belief in healing, he told me a healing story where bone changed under his hand. Mm. And then he told me another healing story where he and his wife prayed for a, for a, a little three-year-old boy covered with oozing eczema. Only he didn't say oozing eczema. He used the medical word for it, which I've forgotten, but like reminding me, this is a doctor, you know, Yeah, yeah. yeah. and somebody who's a psychiatrist who knows the difference between psychosomatic illness and, and, you know, real illness. Mm -hmm. And And this little boy was covered with oozing eczema. They had to, he kept his parents up for 24 hours. They had to catch him before they could pray for him. And the second that John and Lori laid their hands on him, he fell asleep. And within 20 minutes, the oozing dried up and his skin started to change. The next morning, it was soft as a baby's. completely mm. healed. He told me those two stories. And not, not like this was a one-off thing, but like this was normal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd never heard anybody say that. And, and we were asking him to come to our uh, church. And he said, what well, if he came to our church, that one of the things he would want to do is do a lecture on healing. And I go, mm, okay. Uh, and then he said this jack if i come to your church uh i would also want to pray for healing i wouldn't just want to talk about it and i said in the church you want to pray for healing in the church and he said well we can talk about the details when i get there but I wouldn't want to just come and talk about something and not doing it. And I'm thinking, why not? We do that all the time in seminary. <laughs> I mean, we tell people, you got to pray, but we don't have to pray. Uh, or and us professors who never lead anyone to the Lord, we go, you, oh, you got to lead people to the Lord. But we're not doing that. It's just tell people what they need to do. You don't really have to do it. Um, so this is like a new way of thinking. And, and I said, oh, Dr. White, I, ew, um, I, I want you to come to the church. And, and you can give that lecture, and, and we'll figure out some way for you to pray for the sick. But there's six other elders beside me, and they're waiting in a meeting, and I got to go tell them this. And I don't know how they're going to respond. And he said, uh, well, Jack, I, I totally understand, understand your fears. And if the elders decide it's not time to have me, you and I are going to meet another time, and we'll start our friendship there. And uh, what that conversation got me to do was go back and look up every single healing story in the New Testament, take notes about every single healing story this was how i studied the scripture anyway from Mm -hmm. whatever subject i was doing i would just look up every reference to it and i would take notes and then i would organize it into like a systematic theology and 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 so i had one question i asked every single healing story and it was god why did you do it why did you do it in the first place because we said he did it to show that the apostles were trustworthy teachers of doctrine now we got the doctrine so we don't need the scripture so here's what happened. Now, oh, and I just took my professor's word for that when I was a student, and then I told that to my students, you know, without ever having looked up every healing story, mm-hmm. but just confident that my pre- professors would never have lied to me. Um, so I looked up every healing story, and there's not one single healing story in the New Testament that says God healed to show the apostles were trustworthy teachers of doctrine. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. Would we want the authority of the Bible resting on a miracle? Really? Or do we want it resting on the voice of God? It's authoritative because God spoke it. Um, and then I found 10 or 12 other reasons why God healed. When, Like the, he, the, the funeral processions going by in Luke 7, and, and there's the, the widow following the coffin, and her, her uh, son is in the coffin. And it says, Jesus had compassion on her and raised the, her son. Why did he do it? Not to prove he was the son of God. He did it because he had compassion on her. That is a character of God. And then he does it because uh, he has mercy on people. There are like 10 or 12 reasons that the New Testament says he healed, and they're all rooted in the eternal character of God, not in changing historical circumstances. Mm -hmm. So after four months, I believed in healing, but it was only a theoretical belief because they haven't prayed for anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I believe that God was speaking today um, because I – could not explain it away in the new Testament. He spoke to Jesus more than anybody. So here's a perfect person with perfect knowledge of the Bible. He's got the whole Bible memorized and he knows the meaning of every single verse. And he says, I only do what I see my father doing. It's not my teaching. It's the teaching my father gives to me. So if this perfect person needed to hear God's voice to fulfill his higher eyes calling, how much more does the person like me? So that's the state I came to after four months. I didn't hear the voice of the Lord. I didn't see a miracle. Um, and I didn't know how you even go about it because I had no mentor.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. So you talked a little bit about the trustworthy teachers of doctrine and how that was one of the reasons for the miracles. At least that's what that was your former belief. And that's yeah. what uh, a lot of the cessationists repeat. Well, one of the verses that I hear cessationists go to sometimes is Hebrews chapter two. Uh, the first few verses, I thought I'd read these to you and uh, and just have you respond. Does this teach? Uh or well we we know what you think. So why doesn't this teach that the uh, miracles came to show that apostles were trustworthy uh instructors and in doctrine? So uh Hebrews two verse verses one through four. So therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we escape so great a salvation? And then here it's coming up, the, the key part. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So,
2: so what's being borne witness to here? The message of the messengers. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's the message. The message. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, signs and wonders do confirm the message. They don't confirm the messengers and doesn't that make sense? What mm-hmm. God God is into confirming His Son, mm-hmm. you, you know, n- not not us messengers. Um, I mean, it's true. He'll raise up a prophet in the Old Testament and and in, in the kind of the prophetic words and all that gives him a th- authority. But in the New Testament, He's confirming His Son, mm-hmm. and the miracles confirm the message that mm. we're we're hearing, and that's what that's actually one of the purposes of the miracles. Now, here and here's the rub on that one. Okay. If people in the first century who had Jesus present needed miracles to confirm the testimony about Jesus, how much more do we, Might we need? That when, when did that go away? When did that need go away? So you mentioned um, just a moment ago,
0: you said you've you separated things into natural and supernatural yeah, gifts, yeah. right? So in talking about miracles, I've heard categories about healing in particular. So Um, uh, when cessationists are talking about the gift of healing. What they'll talk about is a gift that we can use on demand whenever we want. We can go in and heal, heal, heal. Maybe not heal, 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 heal uh, whenever we want, right? That's a, a gift that God gives us that we can wield. Yeah. Um, so, so we've done an episode on this and we plagiarized you and, and Grudem and Storms and Keener and all these guys. So, uh, but, but I want to give you a second since we're talking about it. How, how does that make sense where they would say, hey, God can perform a miracle and heal someone, but that's not the gift of healing? How would you address that?
2: Uh, well, first, first of all, no one could heal on demand. In right. the New Testament. That's not the gift of healing. Not even Jesus. He went to Nazareth there, Mark 6. And what does it say?
0: You he couldn't do, do any miracles thing. there. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Because of their unbelief. So, and I'm not saying that's an ontological statement about Jesus. I'm, I'm just saying this is the way God has constructed this, this whole uh, area of faith and the way he relates to us, that faith is necessary to, uh, to release healing and release uh, miracles. I'm not saying there couldn't be an exception to that, and that God heals somebody totally out of the blue um, or even heals somebody that's hostile to the faith. But this is the normal thing that that's he right. uh, does.
0: Mm-hmm. So, like uh, we mentioned this— um, you, uh, Paul left Trophimus and Malita sick. Timothy had second Timothy wine. 2 Timothy uh, Timothy 5. You, you're like Bible rain man like Michael. Y'all can like, quote <laughs> all the verses. I, I, I can, I can uh, uh, quote, quote the, the half of the verse. Uh, he left uh, Epaphrodus. He was on his deathbed yep, and God yep, rose him up in his last moment. Right. Yep. So all these different passages we see the Apostle Paul, who was healing people left, right, and center, was unable to heal these. So you're saying gift of healing wasn't always heal on command. Now you made a statement about Jesus just a second ago maybe not ontological, are you saying that that passage was a, he could not because he would not kind of uh, situation like he was, he, had, he was depending on them and their faith in that moment, but he could have obviously violated that in any way that he chose.
2: I think so. But could I, not, I, would not. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, he is the God of the universe. Yeah. I think he could have done that, but he's showing us this is the way I've constructed my relationship with you in the normal way. I relate to you. I require faith. And that's
0: fair. We have a lot of cessationists that listen. And I get emails two or three times a week now of people who are getting rocked watching the show. that They just didn't know that you can believe in the gifts of the Spirit and love God's Word and love theology. And I've got this one story of a guy who he's on a ladder listening to our story with Sam Storms talking about demon possession of all things. And as he's listening to Sam, he's like, this guy loves the Bible and he begins to weep and he says (laughs) he felt the Holy Spirit come in the room. And for the first time in 30 years, began to speak in tongues because his, his community had taught him it was demonic. So he'd moved away from it, but I'm getting messages every single week. And sometimes they hear some of these catchphrases like, well, Jesus can't do this or this. And they're like, whoa, 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 that can't be right. But, but we're actually saying there's a theological position like Jesus cannot make you lie. He, he cannot because he will not. right? Will he could not, not, yeah, not Right? That's right, 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 right. right. part of his intrinsic nature. Yeah, yeah he, he so set up the universe in a yeah,
2: certain way. Yeah, but so when God wants to do something like that, He sends an evil spirit right. to someone uh, to, to lie to them to lead them astray. And you go, "Wow, would God do that?" Yeah. Who did the evil spirits belong to? Yeah. they belong to God. They do His bidding. I mean, He sent an evil spirit to Saul, uh, and the and the Holy Spirit left him, and the Holy <laughs> Spirit came on. Uh, I remember David. when you were uh, you were teaching one time at oh, Wellspring? No, end
1: story. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if you know this story, but With your daughter? No 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 no, it's oh, not okay. that. No, you were you were teaching about Saul and you came to the phrase, an evil spirit from the Lord, and you paused on it and you're like, Now that's a strange phrase, isn't it? <laughs> we don't have time to talk about it though, so let's keep reading.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it really funny. Oh,
1: but wow. uh that's a whole side note. So, uh, okay, well, I want to come back to you. You mentioned uh, kind of in su- quick succession, Josh, a number of, of miracles that didn't happen. You know, I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. And, and a lot of times cessationists will say, well, you see prolific miracles at the beginning of Paul's ministry, no, no. but, it, you know, You get to the end of Acts and like Acts 19 through 28 with a little, you know, a little flare up in Malta uh, of healings. But outside of that, toward the end of Paul's life, seems like the, the gift of healing was dying out. And so it already started and that's why he couldn't heal. Uh, his own disciple, Timothy, whereas before that, Paul's hanky is healing people. So uh, so what would you say to a cessationist who says you can already see evidence that the gift of healing was dying out in the New Testament?
2: Uh, I would say that that's incredible <laughs> it's that you actually believe that, that before the apostle Paul died, that the gift of healing was was dying out because you see him in the uh, the last picture we have of him in the book of Acts in twenty eight he's healing everybody on the island,
0: oh, an entire island. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, does, yeah, does that look like I, it's dying I out to it you? It on purpose. It's not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
2: it's a not a small, small. Maybe deal. it was a small island, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there were only a couple five ten thousand people on it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just incredible. That, that's what you call a tendentious argument. The only person that would say something like that is a person who already believes that the gifts aren't here, so they're not looking to. Ev, uh, they're, they're not looking to listen to evidence they're manufacturing mm-hmm. it it's just a total illegal argument yeah do you hear people still making the argument today from
1: first corinthians 13 uh, because it used to be that cessationists would say uh, when it says uh you know prophecies will cease, tongues will cease, etc uh but when the perfect comes that's when we don't need these things anymore and so it it seems obvious from the context that the perfect is when I see God face to face, but the common cessationist argument back in the day, 20 years ago was when the perfect comes, that's the Bible when the perfect comes, the Bible's here. So now we don't need tongues and prophecy. And I, it seems like maybe somebody kind of got dialed in enough to realize, Oh wait, this is actually an argument for continuationism because it suggests that we'll have the gifts until we see God's face. Um, do you hear
2: that argument still today? You know, I or didn't a even version of it. No, I didn't even hear it in my time. Uh, both as a professor <laughs> uh, and and as a student I heard my professors mock that argument. Uh, because the, they they oh, took good. the perp, they took the perfect to be the coming of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Not nobody. None of the folks in my academic circle as a student or when I came on the faculty would ever say that referred to the com, uh, completed canon. I, and, and, I saw and, some and, I saw a professor from DTS Mentioned that this week, <laughs> but no, nope, nobody in my time. Yeah, fact, I've never, I've never <laughs> seen like, a prof- wow, the I've never sister. seen a professor use that. That's usually uh, from a layman, a layman, or yeah. you know, like a pastor that's not well trained in theology. But, uh, okay, so First Corinthians thirteen. How does a cessationist
1: respond to that? To me, that is an ironclad argument, uh, and we should probably read it because not everyone's yeah. familiar yeah. with it. But to me, it's an ironclad argument. Um, that cessationism is not true okay or continuationism is okay here we are first corinthians 13 verse 8 love never ends as for prophecies they will pass away as for tongues they will cease as for knowledge it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away when i was a child i spoke like a child thought like a child reasoned like a child but when i became a man I gave up childish ways, for now we see in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I know, I am fully known. So certainly, the, and, and then of course the last one, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Because faith, faith is going to go away. Hope is going to go away. You don't need faith and hope. You don't need prophecy and tongues in heaven when you see God face to face. And so uh, it would seem as though Paul is suggesting that prophecy and tongues will
2: be, will be around
1: until we see God face to face. Is
2: it- yeah, if it, uh, I, I, think that's, I think that is actually what the passage is saying. But if I were going to try to mitigate this, uh, I would say w- when he says down in uh, uh, verse 10, uh, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I would say he's, not, he's using partial in a different sense there. To mean all of the things that are incomplete in this life, not just the uh, gifts which may cease themselves before. And, that, and and there's a this in Greek. This isn't the cease. The is in the middle tense, which doesn't have to mean this at all. But somebody who's a wooden literalist will take it to mean that the gifts gifts cease themselves. That they, they outlive their, uh, their usefulness. Purpose. Yeah, yeah, your usefulness. But that's really a a, a bad argument. I don't know how you. Re- really exegetically be true to the passage and and, le- and get away with that unless, you, I mean, escape that conclusion unless you change the second meaning, the second use of partial, unless you change its meaning. So. Okay.
0: Okay. So. so, well, one of the, another thing that happens a lot in these passages or when, when we're looking at these passages and we're talking to cessationists, one of the things that they're going to say and I hear all the time is, um, I haven't seen it, right? Like I haven't seen uh, miracles, there's no documented proof. Um, and if there were documented proof, um, all of these that I'm seeing of people doing these on stages, they're charlatans, they're tricking people. Uh, you think they're, they're getting healed, but they're just pulling your leg. I mean, there's, there's quite a few things that I've heard online.
2: Okay. Uh, So I I have a couple of replies to that. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I haven't seen this. Yeah. My, My first replies. So what? What, were the, you the, It was what you see, the authority for truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I read in the Bible, I have not because I ask not. So when's the last time you've been praying for blind eyes to open? Or you've been praying for somebody to get a wheelchair? Well, never. I didn't pray for those kind of things when, when I was a cessationist. So the fact that they haven't seen things just mean you haven't seen things. And the reason you haven't seen things is because you're not uh, praying for them. Uh, You made another point I wanted to. uh, Documentation. Oh, documentation. That is the worst thing you can say today. Uh, Craig Keener, who's a a phenomenal professor at Asbury Seminary, New Testament professor. Uh, He's a savant. This guy is, I've known him for years uh, when he first became a professor. And he's written a two-volume work called Miracles where he documents healings for the last 2,000 years. Right. He documents contemporary healings, even raisings from the dead with, with uh, proof by doctors who witnessed it. Right. Uh, it's just incontrovertible. You can't say that anymore. You can't say the, there's, uh, there's no documentation for this. It is a massive scholarly work Far beyond the ability of an ordinary professor to write and how, I mean, I look at that data. The bibliography is 165 pages of fine print, (laughs) uh, multiple languages. I look at that thing and I think, man, that would take a lifetime to read that. The The book itself is proof that miracles still (laughs) (laughs) exist. The fact that it has been put into paper. I, I mean, it would take me a lifetime to write a book like that. And, and that's just one of like 22 books he's written. Of oh, that I mean, caliber. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a genuine big, it's, savant. It's called and,
1: Miracles. And miracles. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. Man, just read that. And if you don't believe after that, I mean, there's something wrong with you. <laughs>
0: Are you <laughs> saying? Which, of course, we would say if you don't believe the Bible,
2: there, that would be the first one. But in yeah. addition
0: to that, you're well, just trying I to I mean, people.
2: when you cite doctor after evidence. doctor, you go, a physicians don't believe in anything. Baloney. I mean, he, he cites examples of physicians praying for miracles in, in different countries, mm-hmm. uh, as, as well as in Western countries, and, and miracles happening and them recording it. It's just I – I, mean, it, I haven't read that book, those books. I oh, to, man, it will do so much yeah. for your faith. Just reading that, you'll go, man, you just can't wait yeah. to get back and pray for somebody again. Huh. Elijah Stevens came on the show and
0: said there was a difficulty in <coughs> documentation um, because when we do a bunch of documentation, you'll go in, they'll take, they'll take out a kidney, you'll go get prayer. And then you go back to the doctor, if you have the money to go back to the doctor, right? And to get the test done, what doctor is going to tell insurance that that kidney that you took out of that person is just back somehow? <laughs> like you get malpractice. Like there's, there are some, there are the reasons that doctors don't want to talk about this if people in fact get healed. So, so the oh. fact that he has all that documentation is a miracle in with, itself With Dr. Well. signing, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. So
2: uh, the first miracle I saw was a lady in our church. We just started praying for healing. Her name was Ruth Gay. And she had an aneurysm and it was documented by an angiogram and and uh, she was going in Wednesday to have a second angiogram and then to have surgery to heal the aneurysm. so uh she asked if we would come over to her house and pray for uh pray for her to be healed, and we go, yeah, sure, so Lisa and I went over, we laid hands on her and we prayed really quietly for her uh didn't feel anything. Uh, and when we left there, I said, you know, I think she might have been healed. She goes in for the angi- angiogram on uh, Wednesday morning, and there's no aneurysm. Mm-hmm. She's completely, totally healed. When she calls me, she's still under the anesthesia. She could just barely whisper. And she said, Jack, I've been healed. I go, what? She goes, I've been healed. And I said, what would your doctor say? And, and she said, my doctor said you've been healed and there's no explanation for it. So that was great. So a reporter was doing a story on me for the Dallas Morning News, mm-hmm. and they wanted to put that in the uh, uh, in the story. And so the reporter called the doctor and he wouldn't talk to her. Mm-hmm. He w- he said it was a miracle. He said right. there was no explanation for this. There was no, no mistake in the first angiogram, but he would not give the story to a reporter. So I find that's really common uh, among uh, unbelieving medical community. Yeah, because for, number one, they don't want healers running around. They want to do the healing (laughs) and they they, they sort (laughs) of, they have a prejudice against people anyway. And, and, and and so what we often do when we're against uh, healing or miracles is we tell the worst stories we know about the most emotional group or the most dishonest healer. and, And we create this, uh, uh, th- this belief uh, or, or opinion that if you believe in healing, you're really an emotional basket case or, it, it, you know, you're you're a victim of deceivers. And, and a lot of doctors, I, you know, for whatever reason, they're just not going to sign off on something they know for sure is true. Sure.
1: Makes sense. Okay. So um, I want to come back to the question of signs and wonders authenticating the messenger. Okay. Second Corinthians 12, 12. I read this verse to you. Yeah. Okay, the signs of a true apostle uh, were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Okay, so some would argue that hey, if you're a true apostle, You have exhibited this by signs and wonders. Why are you laughing at me?
0: I'm like you're at your laughing web at me because I know exactly who the sums are that you're referring to. I'm cracking oh, up over here. I'm oh yeah, you, I was
1: trying to I was trying to do a fast read of John MacArthur, just, yeah. but I didn't have. <laughs> I time see to the Grace it. to You website. Yeah. I'm
0: like, oh yeah, some say. Okay,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, so some would say um some some people's names whose r- names some people whose names rhyme with. Blonde McBlarth. (laughs) Keep going, Michael. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm lost. The signs of a true apostle were among you. So um, is a sign that you're a true apostle signs and wonders? Some would argue that it is. What do you
2: think? Uh, Well, I I do think that signs and wonders were characteristic of the apostles, but this passage is not saying that at all. Okay. Um, So look what he says. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you. Mm -hmm. So what are the signs of a true apostle? Uh, And he tells us in this book, when he wants to prove his apostleship, what does he do? In 2 Corinthians 11, he appeals to all of his suffering. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. That's that's the the number one sign of a true apostle. And he says, whatever those signs were uh, of an apostle, uh, they were performed among you. And I also did them with signs and wonders and mighty works. Mm-hmm. So the signs and wonders are not the signs of the apostle. There's mm-hmm. something the apostle did when he was demonstrating the signs of an apostle. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is in the dative yeah. case in Greek, which means these, this, this, the signs and wonders accompanied the signs of a true yeah. apostle. I, I wonder
1: if you could. You mentioned the dative in the Greek because if you look at, say, the NIV, which is a dynamic equivalent <laughs> translation, um, a, a little. I wouldn't call <laughs> it a paraphrase, the, uh, the but equivalent association. <laughs> <laughs> dude, you're just picking on me today. Sorry, You're trying to like. I'm off. trying to. I'm trying okay. to
0: catch up from all the the, the <laughs>
1: um, absence that you've had. So in IV, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. So so they seem to include signs and wonders and miracles within the scope of marks of a true apostle. Uh, mm-hmm. The CSB. uh, also uses that word including. Yeah. So, could
2: you take us into that? Yeah. Uh, so, why do you think the ESV that I just read, which done 30 years later, changes that? Because the NIV was a mistake. And there's no translation that doesn't have mistakes. And, and I use the NIV all the time. So, I, I know lots of mistakes in the uh, NIV. And, and then they redid they re- the uh, NIV. But uh, I always check those kind of things against the ESV. And the ESV, and many places like that is as a better translation, but there's it's it's no mistaking. It is in the dative case. So, in, in the normal sense of, of a dative, is accompaniment. So, with signs in which mm. they accompanied the mm. signs of a true apostle. It's just
0: it's, it's like, it's like this
2: is like first year Greek. Right. And, and what happens to a translator um, is you you your your prejudices sometimes. Make it in the way you've always understood that verse or whatever. It's like for years and years and years, people knew that John 3.16 uh didn't say the only begotten son of Jesus. That the only oh, son of the Father. Yeah, Father. Sorry.
0: <laughs> I got you back, Jack. Uh,
2: so <laughs> Christology is
0: important to us. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so uh the guys who uh who translated the King James in 1611, mistook the word. And and it's the difference between having one N in the middle of the word or two Ns. Uh, And and it was truly the word for unique, not misbegotten. And so for a long time, this was not like rocket science. For a long time, translators knew that. But John 316 was in our creeds. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So who's going to change that? And then finally, it was the very modern translations, which actually changed that and called them unique. And when they did, there was a storm of criticism.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Oh, we can go in cool. a thousand places. As as we've got the lexicographer present, <laughs> um, I would love to tackle uh, some of those language questions. Uh, there have been. Uh, some podcasts. So we, we did, you were actually on it. We did a 2020 prophecy review uh, where we listened to all the prophecies given on 2020. And we interviewed um, yourself uh, and Keener and Storms and Dr. Michael Brown and Kinfish came on. We had so many different voices coming on. And uh, there was a bit of criticism coming back on us for, for viewing some of these words and not uh, categorizing each of these people as false prophets because they got their word wrong. Um, now, there's wow. a couple of things. We we did go back and some of these people didn't repent and they wanted to double down and and then we started doing some more research on some of their stuff and found that they believe that there's kingdoms in heaven made of jello. So we've gone ahead and said some of these guys are false prophets. Yeah. Um that being world? said, huh? What in the world? I, yeah. You'd have to go back and watch that one. It's, it's unhinged. Um, So, so w- when talking about prophecy, well, we're not saying that there are no false prophets, right? Yeah. Everyone at the table would say there are false prophets. Um, So before I, I have you defend that case, can you tell me what a false prophet is? I think that probably be yeah. a good place to start. A
2: false prophet is someone who uses supernatural revelation or superna- supernatural power to lead people to false gods. We're, okay to lead people to themselves. Yeah. Um, uh, Second Thessalonians 2.9 says that that they, they're counterfeit miracles. Like they come with the power of Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what a false prophet is. A false prophet is not someone who makes a mistake. Um, so one of the classic examples is a, of a prophet making a mistake. It's a great prophet, Nathan. You know, he's David's prophet. So it's, this is 2 Samuel 7. Uh David says, I want to build the house of the Lord. And Nathan says, go. Uh, the Lord will help you, honor you, and all this. But he tells him to go, and he tells him to go in the name of the Lord. Nathan walks out of the house, and uh, the Lord said, Nathan, he can't build a house. He's a man of blood. What did you just do? And so Nathan's got to go back in and say, uh, i take that one back. Uh, I made a mistake. And David doesn't go, oh, Nathan, you've been such a good guy. I hate to lose you now. You're going to be stoned. He just Accepts it, and there's no evidence anywhere in the New Testament. I mean, Old Testament for a prophet being stoned for making a mistake. None at all. But yet you hear people say that all the time. It's so serious. If you made one mistake, you're stoned. Okay, you just tell me where it shows it. Where is it? So they're going to say, well, it says
0: it in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18 are the two texts that they're going to point so, to.
2: So Deuteronomy 13 is is absolutely clear. What do they? What do the prophets do in Deuteronomy 13? They use miracles to lead. People astray, and he said, "Even if the miracle comes true, you don't you don't follow that uh, prophet. So okay. uh, you you can't contradict the the word of God or the or the message about God. Um, the key to Deuteronomy eighteen um, is is the phrase uh, that uh, Moses uses. Um, See, so it's real common to think Deuteronomy eighteen was written about this." succession, this line of prophets. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was written about one prophet. So so what does Moses say? He says in, in verse uh, 15, the Lord your, God, your your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, your brothers. To him, you shall listen. Okay. So what's the prophecy about? Jesus. It, it's about Jesus. And that's exactly the way the Jews took it. So in John chapter 1, they ask, uh, they ask John the Baptist, they go, uh, are you the prophet? Th- this was taken to be the, a prophet about the Messiah. And in Acts chapter 3, it's quoted as Jesus being fu- as fulfilling it. This was never about an unbroken line of prophets. It was always about God raising up another covenant mediator. Moses w- was not just a prophet he was the mediator of the covenant and who had signs and wonders to back him up and, and all that. So he says, now God's going to raise up another person, uh, like me for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and then he, he gives the warning about prophets. They'll come and speak a word that's, you know, not from God and all. He goes, you don't listen to them. Uh, and he doesn't call them false prophets here, but they are, uh, false prophets. Um, so he says, um, In verse 20, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Not a prophet who makes a mistake. But this Mm -hmm. is a guy imitating the covenant mediator and and who uh, may speak in the names of other gods and just imitating Moses. He's leading people astray. So you would take the – because he says two different things. He who
1: presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him. Or who speaks in the name of other gods. Yeah. And some people who want to say, you miss a prophecy, you're a false prophet, separate those. And they say, okay, there's one category of people who speak in the name of other gods. And there's another category of those who presume to uh, to speak the word of the Lord and they're wrong. Both of those get stoned and they both die. But okay. but, but what you're saying... Is <laughs> in the Old Testament. Okay. But what you're saying is this is actually a single category. Those who presume yeah. and those who speak in the name of false gods, this is the same. He's presuming and, and I to be believe, the covenant mediator. Yes. I, and I believe, and I have to do a double check, but I think Deuteronomy 13 uses that same word, presume. In the context of speaking in the name of other gods.
0: While you're looking at that, um, one of the verses here in verse 21 seems to be the interpretive lens for some. I've heard some come back on in verse 21. How shall we know uh, uh, the word which the Lord has spoken? So he's saying that's the question that's being asked, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Not... This is a descendant. This is a, a prophet, a prophet who is to come. Uh, so we've, we came on, we, we did this show. Uh, uh, what you're saying right now is the exact same thing that Michael Miller came on to explain to us in Deuteronomy 18. It's about Jesus. Someone's going to come to be a, instilling a new and better covenant. They're going to say, hey, I'm this new prophet, and they're coming with signs and wonders. They're going to presume to prophesy falsely or erroneously. Um, and then he's saying, but the main question is not whether he's the prophet. He wants to kind of erase uh, many of these guys who want to interpret this. want to erase this top part uh, of, of a prophet in your midst who will come later that's going to be like Moses. And wants to use 21 as the interpretive lens to say the question that's being asked is how shall we know the word of the Lord has not spoken? So how do we know if this word is from God? And he says these are these are those criteria. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, does, that, does that question make sense, or does that yeah, statement makes it yeah. interpretively?
2: Yeah, and I, I think this is one one practical application. If the word doesn't come to pass, then you know the Lord hasn't spoken it. Yeah, uh, But also, what if in Deuteronomy 13, he does a, a miracle, and, and that miracle comes to pass, but he's telling you to go after God, so you ignore the miracle. Right. S- so I, I think this is just one uh, a- application. He, he's spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of
0: him. Now, would this be considered false prophecy if someone has spoken presumptuously?
2: Um, I I think the way he's saying, I I think this is about false prophets here. Okay. He's not not talking about somebody making a mistake. He's talking about somebody assuming the role of covenant mediator to be like a leader of God's people. So Um, what if
0: I said that like, hey, like Balaam's donkey right? Like he didn't, he didn't need to learn how to hear the voice of God, right? Uh, the spirit of the Lord came on him and he just spoke on behalf of the Lord. And in the old Testament, uh, they'll again, will make the case that the spirit of the Lord comes on individuals and they just speak the word of the Lord. We don't have a record of people learning to hear the voice of God or making these kinds of mistakes that you're talking about. How would we make sense of that? Um, is, is that true? Is that a true statement?
2: Well, I, I think that, that's t- totally possible that can happen, that, that the Lord can t- speak through a donkey. Sure. Uh, the donkey's not learning the word. And I think he could speak um, through, uh, to anybody, you know, could give a word to them and they could just speak the word. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you just think of, if, if you put this, the, the New Testament gift of prophecy, if you put it in the context of the, all of the gifts of the Spirit, they're all things we progress in. And just, just hearing the voice of the Lord. <clears throat> I think he speaks to us a lot, but I think uh, uh, for me, I think he was speaking to me before I ever really heard his voice. And I trained myself to ignore certain impressions. Mm-hmm. Like, like if it, did, it wasn't what I was thinking about at the time where I'm praying and I get this impression, Hey, like, you're supposed to pray for this. And I go, get out of here. It's not on the list. And, and I think that was God telling me what he wanted to answer. And I wouldn't pay attention to it because it wasn't on my uh, list. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think you, I, you grow. Oh. In learning to discern the voice of God, just like you grow in learning to discern Scripture. Right, I mean, right. you think about some of the things we've said when we were first starting out, that what Scripture taught, just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But but you, you you grow in all those things.
0: I mean, I, I remember, I think Miller uses this a lot when he talks about this, but he, uh, another guy that you trained, oddly enough, uh, he'll talk about uh, uh, Samuel in the temple. When Samuel's in the temple, he hears the, the Lord calling to him and he comes to Eli. It's like, hey, did you call me? And here's an example of the Lord speaking to someone and them not recognizing that God is speaking to them. And he began to learn the voice of the Lord, right? This, yeah. is this process of discerning what we're hearing.
2: Yeah, it's first Samuel three, and it happens three times. Yeah. And he goes into Eli's bedroom three times. So it's distinct enough, whether it was audible or not. I kind of imagine it was audible. I mean, it was distinct enough. That he thinks Eli's calling him from the next bedroom. Mm-hmm. and it takes Eli thir- three, three times to figure out what's happening because Eli doesn't hear the voice of the Lord he's anymore. the yeah. door. That's right. That's what he's put because of the uh, rebellion he's tolerated in his sons. And so uh, Eli says, "Next time you speak, say here I am at your service, and then you tell me the message he spoke to you." And so on the next day, Samuel delivers that horrific message to uh, Eli.
0: And in that same category, and, uh, and I'll have you pick up in, in Deuteronomy 13 because I know you're waiting for that, um, but like prophecy and dreams, right? Like dreams are uh, referred to in Joel chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 2 as prophecy, right? One of the signs of the Spirit being poured out and prophecy being given is that your yeah. sons and daughters will have, or your old men will dream dreams, young men will have visions. I might have swapped those. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in that context, we see throughout the Old Testament over and over, dreams often need interpretation. So there's this process of hearing and receiving revelation, but then still sorting through that. brittle and dark saying and mystery. So uh, Deuteronomy 13. Okay, yeah.
1: Uh, It's really nothing different on Deuteronomy 13. I actually, I was wrong. The word presume is not in there. Well, you presumed. I presumed that it was. But actually, I wasn't totally sure which I said. So uh, anyway, Jack, actually what I'd like to do, because we are are kind of getting to our close uh, of time here, is at the very beginning, you talked about just some real painful parts of your story that. Trauma of your childhood. We spent most of our time on theology and on supernatural. I'm curious how these were married together for you. Like what what role has learning to hear the voice of God played in your life practically? Has it, has it done anything in the way of healing some of the trauma? Has it done anything in the way of helping you? feel the affections of God I, I just, and just, and I hear you use that phrase sometimes. So I just wanted to, to maybe kind of shift personal here, yeah. how learning the gifts of the Holy Spirit has affected you, particularly in light of uh, suffering early in your life.
2: Uh, the, the number one thing about learning to hear his voice, uh, the reason it's so important for me, when I, when I first started hearing his voice, I mean, I could look at somebody in an audience, and, and I would know they had tinnitus in the left ear. Or uh, I would know, we're, I would say, I, I'm saying that, I, I would know, I mean, I would just have this impression. We're supposed to pray for this, and, 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 and people would respo- respond to it. So when I first started hearing his voice, I thought the purpose of his speaking was to guide me into a, a better ministry. Uh, I did not know that what he wanted was a friend more than a servant. Uh, and, and what do friends do? Uh, friends talk to each other. Why? For the pleasure it gives them to be together. So this is what was so important when Jesus said, uh, in John fifteen fifteen, I no longer call you servants, but friends. It's not like you're not gonna be servants anymore. It's, but it's like this, the emphasis is going to be on friendship. You're my friend who serves. And the essence of friendship is, uh, not service. I mean, think about your best friend. We, we have our best friends, not because they can serve us, so we need another servant. We have our best friends for the pleasure it gives us to be with them. And uh, we feel a chemistry with our best friends we don't feel with anybody else. There's a joy when we're with them that we don't share with anybody else. And there's a gratitude. It's like, I can't believe this person loves me and wants to be with me. And I think that's what God's saying. Or Jesus was saying in John fifteen fifteen, I want you to feel my affection. My, I want you to feel my joy in you, and I want you to have pleasure in me. So hearing His voice today for me is about, uh, it's about feeling the affection and being with a person uh, I love. And I hear His voice all the time now. I, I wouldn't have said that ten years ago, but uh, it would be rare for me to go two or three days without having some kind of definite expression on God's part of his affection for me and of his desire uh, to be with me. And even when he shows me my sin, I mean, he has a way of doing it that is so creative. It makes me feel so loved, like he's showing me this to remove a barrier, something that's impeding our friendship, so I can enjoy him more. Uh, Can you tell us a story, like tell us
1: a story about a time that, uh, the Lord spoke to you and it really, uh, it really
2: touched you? Well, I, I'll tell you a couple of ways. Uh, I, I, uh, 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 so um, the the big change in my life is when I put prayer over studying the Bible. I still, I still mm-hmm. study the Bible. I still love the Bible. Um, but for most of my life, my the first part of my Christian life, I made studying the priority and I, I prayed, but it was not near as important as uh, uh, as studying the scripture and then one day I was reading uh, Luke 21 34 to36 where it's in the olivet discourse and Jesus has got the 12 there and he says to them be careful or your hearts will be weighed down by dissipation drunkenness or the uh or, or the, tri- the yeah the tri- the trials of life uh the anxieties of life now he's looking at his 18 and he says if you're not careful, you're going to waste your life on the pursuit of pleasure. That's what dissipation is. Mm. Or you're going to become a drunk or the anxieties of life are going to take you out. So always pray that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man on that day. So he's, he's looking at Peter and going, Peter, you're the rock. But if you don't pray, if you don't always pray, you're going to waste your life on the pursuit of pleasure. John, you're my best friend. But if you don't always pray, you're going to be a drunk. The rest of you, listen to me. You're going to mm-hmm. waste your life. The uh, the uh, trials of life, the anxieties of life are going to take you down if you don't pray. And I read that. And, you know, you can read a verse a bunch of times and it, it just lies there as lifeless as the page on which it was printed. And then you read it one time and it just wham, it just comes off and it grabs your heart. And I had that experience and I go, I got this backwards. I should be praying if I want to be what he says in Luke 21. I should be praying more than I'm studying. I should make that my priority. So when I started making prayer my major priority, that's when I I went in an uptake in hearing his voice. So prayer is my number one goal. I don't do it near as well as I want, uh, but I try to start out the day doing that. I have a list that I use. I also speak extemporaneously. So a couple of years ago, I was going through my uh, list, and uh, it was just drier than dust. I mean— I, I just I stopped. It was so boring, so bad. And I'm told, I am look at my watch. I go, Man, I get through this and I'm talking to God. Right. And and so I stopped and I, I looked up and I go, are you enjoying this? Because I'm not. And I don't hear a single word. It doesn't say anything to me. So I go, well, I better finish my list because yeah, that's still true. Just a patient. So I finished my list. And one of the things I pray for on my list is I have all my family down there and I pray specific things for them. And I pray every every day for my son's writing. He's a, an award-winning uh, journalist, and I'm a writer. So we've got this kind of bond there. And uh, three days later, my son calls me just before my prayer time. And uh, when he was just about to get off the phone, he goes, Oh, Dad, I just won Best Feature Writer in the state of Missouri again. And before I can leap in celebration, my heart can leap in celebration, I hear God say, Is this really important to you? I just break out laughing. Okay, all right, I get it. Uh, And and what he was telling me is don't worry about the emotion behind your prayers. I I didn't say you had to be passionate. I said you had to be persistent. Uh, And your dry prayers mean more to me than the other prayers because it takes more faith to pray them. And I'm proud of you Mm. for praying them. My heart just Mm. soared. And And that took this burden off of me. I still have tons of uh, dry times. So I had this great uh, uh, old friend who's one of the uh, famous famous re- revivalist and and we got to be really close in his old age and he used to say this he used to say uh, God doesn't answer prayer. he answers desperate prayer. And when this guy prayed, man, it was with emotion and all that kind of stuff. but I recoiled every time he ha- heard, said that statement because I can't find anywhere in the New Testament, Old Testament for that matter, that say the power of my prayers rest on the quality of my emotion. What he says to do is always pray so that you don't faint, so that you don't give up. So it's the persistence that matters to him. I can't manufacture the quality. But having him say that to me directly was like just lifting a burden and adding a whole freshness to my morning time.
0: Mm. Praise God.
1: Amen. I love that. Yeah, because I think that was the biggest surprise for me when I started believing that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit were for today was I I thought about it all in terms of ministry and church experience, and what I found was it drastically impacted my friendship with God, that on a daily basis, uh, coming to God to actually hear him uh, is just a completely different orientation. But just like you said in John 15, uh, the way he differentiates his friend and a servant is he says a, a servant doesn't know his master's yeah. business, but a friend does. And so there's clearly a communication factor there. And yeah. so... That's what I found where the Lord has spoken to me in a dream that was very timely or he's uh, just spoken to me with an impression in my heart. And uh, I would describe it as life changing. So uh, to our viewers out there, I just want to encourage you that this isn't just about like, um, you know, we want to be supernatural and see fireworks show. It's not like the church I drove by that's like, come here. We got signs and wonders, you know, that got it on the sign. (laughs) You know, it's this is uh, this is about friendship with God. It's about walking with him. It's about pleasing him because his word, we believe, says to do these things and pursue these things. But it's, uh, but it's so much more than just getting a little fireworks show. It's about walking with Jesus. So,
0: yeah, I think that that's that's what we've, we we want to push, right? First uh, Corinthians thirteen, it's love, right? Yeah. Um, I think loving God and loving people is the motivated. The motivating force behind the gifts. If we're looking to use the gifts so that we can look spiritual, that we can look glorious, that we can look awesome, uh, that's the space where abuse comes in. Uh, And we would encourage people to love God and love people so that when you're pursuing the Lord for miracles and healing and prophecy it's for the good of others um uh, and yeah i think that uh, that alone i think would mitigate quite a bit of the abuses that we see and i think um hopefully we can we can help be voices in that space pushing people right. in that direction so awesome. uh, any closing thoughts michael
1: uh, i think i just pretty much shared mine yeah. What do we have coming up on Tuesday?
0: Uh, Tuesday, uh, that'll be tomorrow. Uh, we're going to have Dawson coming on. He has done an exposition of Jeremiah twenty-three. We uploaded the first part last. He's week, so good on Jeremiah, and then 23. Jeremiah twenty-three. Next, the this court week. prophets. Court prophets discussing the court prophets in Jeremiah's day, uh, and he is he is probably read fifteen or twenty different commentaries on this, putting compiling stuff together. There's study guides accompanying it. It's it's pretty great stuff. Yep. Uh, anyway, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, well. Uh, Wednesday we'll see (laughs) you Wednesday because both of these episodes are taped and they know it so Wednesday what are we doing gifts gave it away man talking about your uh what are you talking about I don't know what you No, yeah for the gifts you're talking about the oh on Wednesday oh yeah
1: we're gonna walk through the book of Acts and talk about uh just God's voice in the early church right um so that I've uh I've studied uh the book of Acts and recorded every single instance of God speaking also every miracle Actually, just like you did with the Gospels, I did—I did it with uh, with the Book of Acts. And what were the apostles doing, or whoever doing, whenever
0: God spoke? Because I want to do that. Yeah, we're going to talk about that on Wednesday. Excellent. Well, I think that was empty Providence. That is all today, guys, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Blessings. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the